to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Morning. How many of you are happy to be in the house of God this morning? Wow. You know, we're going to do uh, things a bit differently this morning, uh, as you can as you notice, I don't have a headset on, so I cannot do my nice hand gestures. And I don't have any beautiful slides for you this morning. Oh. But what's going to happen is that this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what I feel God has placed in my heart. And, um, it's, it's, but here's what we're going to do at the end of service, okay? So most of the time, you know, when you read a storybook, you flip to the end. So I'm now going to flip to the end for you. We're going to call for the church to come forward and then we're going to ask for revival. Amen. 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 Come on. Okay, let's pray this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we say there's only one objective for our gathering this morning and that is for you to move. Holy Spirit, we say have your way, have your way have your way. Lord, I thank you that it's not by the eloquence of my preaching that people are transformed, but it's by the encounter of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you visit us in such a mighty way this morning? Lord, come like the wind, come like the fire. Even as you did in that upper room, that Lord, you will visit us once again, that Lord, you respond to hunger. This morning we say we hunger and thirst for an encounter with the living God. So Jesus, we ask that in your mercy, that you have no mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want all of it, man. In your mercy, you have no mercy. We live in the greatest hour of human history. We live in the greatest hour of human history that, that human civilization as we know it today is drastically and dramatically different than it was 50 years ago. Do you know that the, the, the computer that was in the first space shuttle that, got, that made it to the moon only had 64 kilobytes of memory? We hold more of that memory in our pockets today. How many of you use like the Nokia 8210 when you were growing up? It had no color. It was, it was a green bulb. You had one game, and it was Snake. And, and uh, when like, polyphonic ringtones came out, that was like, oh my gosh, cutting edge. Like music actually sounded like music. You spent a bunch of money buying those polyphonic ringtones. How many of you did that? Or is it just me? I mean, I mean before I owned a phone, I owned a pager. Can you, can you imagine that? A pager. So someone will send you a message that wasn't really a message and then you had to go to a payphone, put 10 cents in and call the person. But today, it's dramatically different. Dramatically different. When I was 10 years old, I would never imagine having something that looks like the iPhone today. Innovation as we know it, it's, it's, it's astounding. Amen? It's so cool. It's, it's the greatest hour of human history. The Bible says that we go from glory to glory. We go from glory to glory. And what is glory? Glory is the manifest presence of God. Glory is, is, is God invading. 
And the Bible says that we go from glory to glory. There's only one direction in the kingdom of God, and that's from glory to glory. Isaiah talks about it and says, the increase of his government and peace shall know no end. In some translation, it says, it shall know no limit. There's a never-ending, ever-increasing glory that we get to partake of as a church today. Yeah? What, what am I trying to say today? I'm trying to say that there's more glory today that we can have access to than there was in the days of Moses. There is more glory that we can access today than there was even when Jesus was on the earth. That's why he said, greater works shall you do. How many of you are with me this morning? There's more glory today. There's more glory today. Unprecedented time in human history. Life expectancy is at an all-time high. Global poverty has decreased over 50% since the early 2000s. 50 years ago, the world was divided into developing and developed nations and today, no longer. Glory to glory. Greatest hour of human history. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, we face difficulties, circumstances and threats never seen before in human history. We live in some of the darkest hours ever seen on the face of the earth. The threat of radical Islam is real, ever increasing. On Easter Sunday, after we had a, an amazing Easter service, you know, I went home, voice was coarse, I, I shouted, I lifted my voice, I sang about the cross, I thanked Jesus for the wonder working power of the cross, I thank Him for what He has done in my life and what He has done in the lives of people around me. I thank, I thank Him for His mandate to transform, to save the world. And as I got home, I received a text in our city ministry leaders chat. And one of our leaders posted an article of the Pakistan bombings that happened on Easter Sunday. Tragedy. Bomber went into the park on Easter Sunday and just let the bomb loose and people died. Children died. Tragedy. And what followed that was, was the person who posted the article said that this, this is saddening. Does anyone have an answer? Does anyone have an answer? And the truth is, no one knew what to say. None of the leaders had an answer. I mean, we probably had an answer, but it wasn't an answer that we wanted people to know about. In my heart, I was like, man, I wish these guys were dead. Right? And we default that really often. How do we respond in the midst of darkness? How can the world be safe? What can we do about these problems? Have we run out of strategies? And it's easy in, in situations like that to relegate and delegate all responsibility to the second coming. We're like, yeah, we are on earth, we are victims to this darkness, but one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to solve all our problems. Amazing, you know, that, because it's, it's founded on a heart of dependency on God. 
But if that is the only way we frame our thinking, then we have completely mistaken the purpose of the cross. The gospel message isn't a message of pray the prayer and evacuate the earth. The gospel message is one that believes in the transformation of the world. That's why Jesus said that he has come to save the world. Come on, are you agreeing with what I'm saying this morning? You know, if I were to ask any of you, like, how do you get saved or what is salvation? I'm pretty sure at least 80% of you would say, I prayed the prayer. But how many of you actually realize that the sinner's prayer did not come into practice until the early 1900s? If that is our basis of salvation, then everyone that lived before the 1900s were not actually saved. And so based on this thing, we have to question our understanding of what salvation is, what the gospel actually means for you and me. And it's interesting that as the early apostles went and preached the gospel in the book of Acts, they never proclaimed it the way we, some of us proclaim it today. Hey bro, pray the prayer and then you'll get saved and then God has a mention for you in heaven. When the apostles went and preached the gospel, they declared the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. They proclaimed the coming of a new age. The Messiah is in charge now. He is the ruler of all and He is establishing His kingdom on the earth through yielded vessels, through you and me. That is what the gospel is. That is what a Christian is a follower of Christ, a follower of Messiah who has come to represent the kingdom and establish it on the earth. That is what the salvation message is. That is the gospel. That's why in Luke 17, it says that the kingdom of God is in you. That's why the Bible also says that the kingdom of God is found in the Holy Spirit who dwells you and me. Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who probably lives in a foreign land. But this very cool thing that, that I love about, about the word, uh, about the, the job ambassador is that no matter where you go, you have this thing called diplomatic immunity. In, in, in layman's term and, and You can correct me after if I have a wrong understanding of this. It means that wherever I go, I'm subject to the governing authorities of the place where I came from, my homeland, no matter where I go. And Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ. You and me, we are of a different planet. That's why Peter says we are aliens, foreigners. You and me, we are ambassadors of Christ. We were made and created for another realm. We are here to represent Him as ambassadors. And because we are ambassadors, we are subject to the governing authorities that is Christ Jesus. And that is the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? It's one of hope. It's one of light. 
that penetrates every darkness. This means that as an ambassador, no matter where I go, no matter how dark the situation is, I can have hope because I'm not subject to circumstance. I'm not subject to the governing authorities of this world. I'm subject to the governing authority of heaven. The gospel is not an evacuation project. It's a call to transform a broken world. In light of what we understand the gospel to be, in light of present day issues, what can we do? What should we ask for? I put it to you this morning that we have run out of strategies, that we have no means to solve every problem. We need God once again. We need revival. If you study church history, you study the Bible, you recognize that whenever there were issues and circumstances of that day and people have come to the end of themselves and they cry out to God, God responds with His Spirit. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises a standard to come against it. God responds to circumstance with revival. God responds to darkness with light. We need revival once again. Revivals did not just impact people spiritually. It actually solved the problems of the day. It confronts the very issues that the people were facing. Nehemiah, a, a, a man who received a charge from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a man yielded to God. And in his day, the people were starving, mass poverty, people were dying. There was a famine in that land. And the Spirit of God breathed upon Nehemiah, gave him a divine strategy. He rebuilt the walls, created jobs, and actually solved the problem with lack in that day. And then it said that the people offered up sacrifices as a nation to God, and they worshipped Him. Revival didn't just impact people spiritually. It solved the problem. Welsh revival was sparked off by a man, 26-year-old man named Evan Roberts. Wales at that point had, had high crime rates. It was an all-time high end. And many of them were caused by the problem of drunkenness. People were found in the bars. They would get uh, horridly drunk and then they would start committing crimes. Wales was, was experiencing that at that point. And one of the stories I love about the Welsh revival is that people were, were born on trains and they were asked the conductor, when do we know when we've gotten to Wales? And the conductor would turn to these people and say, oh, you would know where you get to Wales. And what would happen is that as a train passed by the borderline that divided the, the other nation from Wales, as they crossed the line, a weighty presence would fill the train and mass repentance would happen. Souls were being swept into the kingdom of God. There was a cloud of glory that covered Wales in that day. And what happened was bars started closing down one after the other. They were vacant. Even courthouses were vacant. Why? Because everyone was swept into church. They found a better high than the one they had. <laughs> Revival. Revival. The Welsh Revival accounts for well over 100,000 salvations. 100,000 
salvations. The Jesus People Movement in the late 1960s touched the streets of Southern and Northern California. It, it targeted the hippie movement. The move of God happened at a time where the youth of America was sucked into the hippie life, a life of reckless living, heavy indulgence in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The sovereignty of God, much like the Welsh revival, covered California. One of the stories I love is that, that people, as they're walking down the streets, these druggies who, who were high on drugs, who were drunk out of their minds, the Spirit of God will come upon them and they'll instantly sober up. And they'll be like, what, what on earth is happening? And as though they were caught in a trance, they'll be led to walk a certain path, turn down a certain street, and turn down another street, and they'll find themselves right at the entrance of a house. And they'll knock on the door, and someone will come to the door and say, yes, can I help you? And the first things out of their mouth would, say, would be, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And, and people who wrote about the, the Jesus people movement, they, they, they said that it was so easy to get people saved that you, all you have to do is go around and yell, peanut butter, and people will get saved. The atmosphere was pregnant with revival, pregnant with the Spirit of God. And people were swept in, no preaching, no beautiful service. But God sovereignly touched the hearts of these people. Stir up a hunger within. And they cry out, what must I do to be saved? And the Jesus people movement accounts for you know, salvations that, that or some of the names that you and I would know. Keith Green was one of the converts. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. He wrote that. The Jesus people movement changed the face of worship music as we know it. And we, we, we can... We can find the, the root system of some of the modern worship songs we sing today from that movement. It birthed off the vineyard movement, which accounts for most of the songs that we sing today. And they use more chords than GCD minor. <laughs> and the headlines changed. Instead of getting high on drugs, they got high on Jesus. Controversial, but it confronted society in that day. It solved the problems. By 1972, the Jesus movement had reached its peak. Nearly 100,000 people attended Expo 72, an evangelistic training and rally organized by Campus Crusade for Christ. The event's climatic Jesus Music Festival drew 180,000 people. Mass conversions. Revival brings answers and solutions to problems that governments and societies can't. We need revival. We need to recognize our need for God to break in once again. Glory to glory. Glory to glory. What he did in the past, he can very well do today. Glory to glory. We live in an amazing time in the church as well. You know, since 2012, Singapore's church scene has completely changed. In the past, it was only a select few churches that had signs and wonders and miracles operating within. And people were flocked to these churches for healing rallies. But ever since 2012, there, there was almost a, a wave of the Holy Spirit that swept across the churches of Singapore. And now you can go to any church, almost. 
And you can find a person that's willing to pray for you and stand with you for healing. Signs and wonders, miracles. For years, we, we've been partnering with Methodist churches. Amazing. They have been experiencing the move of God, partnering with us, and we've held conferences, all conferences, in fact, in Methodist churches. Some people who, some speakers will get in and like, oh, wow, I have never thought in all my life, in all my ministry, that I would stand in the Methodist church and preach about the kingdom of God. Prayer has been increasing. I just came back from Penang. I was in, in Penhop. I was, I was speaking there for two days. And, and one of the things they said that was going to happen this month is that they're going to have a gathering called Converge. And in Converge, over 20 houses of prayer in Asia would gather together. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that these 20 houses of prayer did not exist some five years ago. That God has been breathing and stirring up a hunger, a passion, a desire all across the face of the earth. For prayer. Amazing. One of my favorite books is this book written by a man named Rick Joyner. Rick Joyner wrote this book called A World Aflame. And he writes his prophetic insight and also a bit of the historical accounts of the Welsh Revival. And this is what he said about the Welsh Revival. He said that in that day, in, in those months leading up to the outpouring, which is the Welsh Revival, there was an emergence of prayer. Spontaneous prayer gatherings happened all throughout the city. The youth of the city would gather in houses, the, the young and the old, they would gather in, in different houses and they would pray into revival. Spontaneous prayer gatherings happened and it led to the outpouring, which is the Welsh Revival. And Rick Joyner said that these prayer gatherings were like birth pains. They were likened to birth pains. If these are birth pains, then what is the baby? The baby is revival. Can I ask you a question? Does the baby create the birth pains or the birth pains create the baby? It's the baby that creates the birth pains. We need to get it out of our minds that we merit a move of God. This hunger, this desire, this passion, this glory that we're seeing on the face of the earth today, this, this emergence of prayer that we, see, we are seeing is not a man-made thing to merit a move of God, but it is God in His sovereignty breathing across this land, stirring up a hunger. Because why? The baby is coming. Revival is at our doors. Yeah. Unprecedented hunger that leads to an outpouring. They're above pains now because the baby is coming. Revival. What does that mean for you and me? You know, I, I have this really bad habit. Most of you probably won't watch a movie with me after you hear what I do. But I can't stand suspense. Um, if I were to read a book, I flip to the, to the end right away. Uh, when I first got saved, first book I read, Book of Revelations. Um, they told me to read the Gospel of John. I did not listen. Uh, read a book of Revelation. Clearly did not understand a single thing. Bought every book on rapture theory, on like end time. So I have a stack of those books. And that was the first book I read. And so you, you, you see a bit of like, you know, my life. And so uh, I remember once I was watching Transformers 2 with a bunch of my friends. And uh, I cannot stand suspense. And Transformers is like two and a half hours long. And... I cannot stand two and a half hours of suspense. So what I did was I wikipedia the whole thing. And I read and I knew the plot. 
and I sat next to a bunch of people. And if you have not watched Transformer 2, I'm so sorry, but it's going to happen anyway. And so what happened in Transformers 2 was Optimus gets killed. Optimus Prime gets killed. He, 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 he dies. He dies, my friends. He dies. He dies. And so everyone in the cinema went, oh, Optimus is dead. How can we go on? But you see, because I read the whole thing, it did not trouble me. I had, I had complete peace. I had the shalom. Because I knew that, I knew that Optimus was going to like get touched by the all spark and then he was going to be revived. And so it did not trouble me. But everyone else, they went all insane. And they were like, oh my gosh, how can we win? Bumblebee is not that good anyway. And so, and so it did not trouble me. Why am I saying? Because you know that the baby is coming. Because you know that revival is coming. No matter the darkness, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's happening in the world, you will not worry. You will not lose your peace. You will not lose hope. Because why? The baby is at the door. Revival is coming. Do not be troubled. He is coming in power. That's a good word. And you know, uh, Mingwei alluded to it uh, earlier on, and I'm sure many of you have conversed about it, but as we speak right now in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, from what I gathered now, 120,000 people are gathered together in one place to cry out for revival. There were only 120 in the upper room. Think about what 120,000 people would do. And so they, they, are, they are all gathered, crammed in there. The last time the stadium was filled for a Christian event was a Billy Graham crusade. 134,000 people were crammed into the Colosseum with 20,000 people standing outside hearing the gospel message. You know, I come from a school where um, every April we'll have a, a missions explosion week. And last year, we raised 3 million US dollars, went to 50 nations, commissioned 70 teams to proclaim the gospel through signs, wonders, and miracles. And we saw some of the most radical things, people getting healed. Uh, uh, one of the, the, the things I saw in my time uh, on, on missions was I saw um, uh, someone with, with no eye had their eye grow up. I cannot explain it, but, but no, if you were to sit down with me, I'll tell you the story. I've seen witch doctors come to Jesus. They encounter Jesus and they get radically saved. And so these are, are the kinds of miracles that the team see all across the face of the earth. And like some of the intercessors, intercessors said that it's like a, a bomb exploded in the earth as these 70 teams went out. But this year, they decided to do something different. This year, that school that I was a part of, they took all 70 teams, all 3,000 students together with the local church and they aimed everything at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And so they have been there for over a week. And I tell you, man, some of the testimonies and stories, they'll blow your mind. Like, they, 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 like a team went to Skid Row where um, the, the homeless people would just, just live there. Like police will, will find people out on the streets, uh, are homeless, and they'll, they'll take them and they will chuck them at Skid Row. And so people like that were there and, and they went to Skid Row and lines of wheelchairs were empty. People, people were radically healed. Uh, I heard of a man, uh, 32 years old, born deaf. As I was praying for him, his ears opened up and he could hear again. Signs and wonders and miracles, man. 
is not just found here. It's happening on the earth right now. And so all these things are, are, are happening in, in LA. And today for us will be April 10th, but for them will be April 9th. And revival history accounts for 110 years ago, there was an outpouring called the Azusa Street Outpouring. 110 years, old, uh, years ago that day. The Azusa Street Revival was sparked off by a man named William Seymour, who was a one-eyed black preacher. You have to understand that being a black preacher was something highly controversial in that day with racism. And, and he had one eye. He, if you talk about, if, and he was a stutterer. And if you talk about like what makes up a person who shouldn't be in ministry, he was it. And what happened was he moved to LA to take over a church. And by that time, he, he was really uh, into the message of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had experienced it on some measure and he went to the church to, that, that he was supposed to take over to preach on it, preached the message and got kicked out of the church. They locked him out. And so, William Seymour was penniless and homeless and churchless. And then a couple by the name, uh, uh, I forgot what their first names were, but they were the Asburys. They took him in out of pity on a house along the street of Bonnie Bray. It's called the Bonnie Bray House. And they took him in and he, he started to hold meetings there you know, with, with a small group of people. And the Holy Spirit will come in such a measure that was unheard of. We're talking about people who would speak in over eight different languages after they were encountered the Holy Spirit. There was a lady by the name of Jenny Moore. She has never played the piano before, no musical background. As she was filled with the Holy Spirit, she was led to sit at the piano. She stretched her hands out, and all of a sudden, she started to play perfect piano. If you were to go to that house on Bonnie Bray right now, you would see that very piano still sitting there. And, and the, the accounts were, where she played the piano, it was as though a thousand pianos were playing in unison. There was such a shaking when she played. And of course, you know, they, they, the, the, the house, you know, it was a small house. It, it grew too small to hold the revival. And then they shifted to another premise along Azusa Street. Hence the name Azusa Street Revival. And they took over a church there. And the services were, were amazing and it was really interesting. Imagine being gathered into a room with no agenda. So I don't have an order of service. I don't have a speaker lined up for you. I don't have a worship leader lined up for you. But the people would gather and they would just wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit would fall and anoint people to preach, to lead worship. And they would just spontaneously get up and start singing or spontaneously get up and start preaching. But what was interesting was that it was not just orchestrated by one man, but collectively the people were so in tune with the Holy Spirit that if a man got up and the man wasn't anointed to preach, they would politely ask him to sit down. They were so in tune with the Holy Spirit. There were accounts that the church services ran in either English or in tongues. A preacher would get up and start preaching the word in tongues and they had another person right next to him interpreting the whole thing. That was revival. 
And if today you were to sign up for the revival tour in LA, you know, LA, um, if you understand, it's steeped in revival history. Several moves of God happened there. And if you were to sign up for a tour, you'll be taken to these two places, Bonnie Bray House and Azusa Street. If you were to go to Azusa Street, you'll find that the building that they used to meet in is no longer there. They tore it down. And all that's left in that place that hosted the move of God that accounts for modern-day Pentecostalism is a sign that says Azusa Street Revival. Even though physically a sign remained there, but spiritually, that heritage, that fruit of that revival lives today. And we are recipients of it. In Bonnie Bray House, I, as I went in, I, I met the lady who was a caretaker of a place. She was a, a small, stature, young Filipino lady. And, uh, and she was amazing. She would tell you all these stories. And, and she, would, she told me that, that for every visitor that came into the house, she would grab their hands. And as she did, she grabbed my hands and said, Andre, let's pray for revival. We need revival once again. This lady with every visitor that came to the house. Amazing. And so she told me a couple of stories. She told me that, that there was one meeting where the presence of God fell in that place in such a measure that the people shouted for three days and three nights. For us to shout three seconds, very hard already. We're like, lift up a shout of praise. Ah! And then we were like, done. That's enough. But they shouted for three days and three nights. And what happened was, there was such a shaking that the foundations of the house were shaken and they broke apart and the whole thing collapsed. The account said no people were injured, but I, I'm not sure. But that, that, there was such a shaking as they shouted. But can I put it to you that it wasn't just the physical foundations that were shaken, but the spiritual foundations of the church were shaken in that day by the shout of revival. Another interesting thing that happened was uh, as they gathered and as they met, the fire of God would descend on that place. And it would descend in such a measure that the fire department would be activated to come to that house. They will come and, and they, will, they will stand along the street and they will see a house seemingly engulfed in flames. The whole house was covered in fire and they will stand there with their fire trucks and, and the entire neighborhood will be there to stand and watch that house burn. But the interesting thing is that even though the fire engulfed the whole house, it wasn't consumed. And that became a sign and a wonder. Mass conversions happened. And as I was reading that story, the Lord spoke to me through that story in Exodus 3 where Moses ascends to Sinai. And we all know this story. Moses encounters the burning bush. And what was that, that, that characteristic of that bush? It was engulfed in flames but it wasn't consumed. But we often miss this verse in that account. It says that Moses saw the bush but then he turned and set his face on that bush and then God spoke. And I feel for the church today, this morning for you and me, the same way that Moses set his face on the burning bush, you and I are called to set our face on what God is doing in Azusa. And as we do that, as we honor what God is doing in the earth, God will speak and move in our midst. Come on. We have to understand that what happened in Los Angeles... 110 years ago, did not just stop in America. It impacted you and me. 
you have to understand that 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 wave of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, found its way to our shores. In 1972, in the ACS clock tower, a group of boys were praying and the Holy Spirit descended upon that place and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. The, the, the newspaper reported that, that these, guy were, these, guys were, these boys were in hysterics. They were hysterical. And what the church did then was they assigned an Anglican vicar to oversee these boys and to prevent them from going astray. And what happened was that Anglican Vicar ended up being encountered with the Holy Spirit in that same fashion. He began speaking in tongues. And the name of the Vicar was James Wong. James Wong then became instrumental in launching out several churches. One of them is called Cornerstone Community Church. And for those of you who are new, who don't know our history, seven years ago, the city was birthed out of Cornerstone Community Church. We were a church plant there. A majority of us actually grew up in that church. What am I saying to you this morning? If you were to trace the genealogy of the city, you would know that we were born out of revival. We were birthed from revival. And as leadership this morning, I stand in front of you and I say that we are not just born for revival, we exist for revival. Come on. We exist for revival. We exist for revival. And this is what I'm, I, I feel is going to happen as we join our voices with 120,000 saints crying out in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. There was a story in Numbers 11 where Moses assembles 70 elders and takes them up to the tabernacle. And what happened was two of the elders stayed behind in camp. And you have to understand that as they were in the tabernacle, the Holy Spirit swept in that place and these elders began to prophesy in the tabernacle. But two elders stayed back in camp. And this is the account of what happened to that two men. Numbers 11 verse 26. But two men had remained in camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other, Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet they prophesied in the camp. If you look into that word listed, you'll find that one of the definitions for that word is the word aligned. These two men were aligned to the other group of men who went to the tabernacle. And as God visited this man, these two men had a portion as well. And as you and I, as we set our face on Azusa this morning, as we set our face on what God is doing in the earth, as we set our face to the next move of the Holy Spirit, that God will pour a portion of what is happening in the Colosseum right now, that God will pour a portion on this church, because you and I, this nation, this world, we need revival. I believe in the next move of God, there will be a massive flood of conversions. But I believe that one of the things that will distinguish this move from the last is that it will no longer be burning houses. It will be burning people. John Wesley said this, that I will set myself on fire and the world will come and watch me burn. And this morning, the sense I get is God wants His fire to invade this place. 
in such a measure that all of you will be set ablaze for the gospel of the kingdom. That as you go into your various spheres of society, as you go back into your families, you will bring the fires of revival with you. They will no longer be a house. It will be a people. It will be a people.